0: This is a TEDAD podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the TEDAD podcast. My name is Vanessa Santana from the Fiscal Affairs Department at the International Monetary Fund. In our last episode, our guests, Mr. Maimbo Nyanga, Senior Economist at the TADAD Secretariat, and Ms. Murphy Hickok, the founder of AI at Sister Organization and Lighthouse Career Consulting, led us to consider institutional risk and human capital elements in the TADAD model. In this episode, Mindbow and Merv will talk about human resources as a strategic business partner. They will mention future management of human capital risk, considering COVID impact, developments in artificial intelligence, and how this all applies with the Tatar framework. Let's begin with you, Merv. In our last conversation, you mentioned the centrality of human resources, Could you unpack that more?
2: I really see HR as the core of everything that is important to the organization and its sustainability. It might come through your recruitment practices, it might come through the technologies, But do we have ways of understanding those capabilities, ensuring to move forward? Also, talking about the impact of COVID is helpful because we all had business plans, but none of those really worked or only a portion of it worked when it came to COVID and how we ended up responding to that. So maybe going a bit further on that would be helpful.
1: Maimbo, how does HR relate to the Tadad model?
0: So the way we look at things in Tadat is we look at uh, outcome level. Then we have what we call the international good practice. What you must have, the desired outcome. Have these desired goals. For example, there might be a desire that if your system is attacked within a given period, you must be able to be up and running. What are the processes that you are going to follow? So what we have is in what we call the international good practice, we've set standards of what you must have. And some of those standards, for example, under HR. There's a requirement that if you have to have international good practice, you need to have the nature, at least two people who've got training in issues of risk management. So they will understand all those issues of succession planning, training of staff, retaining. So those are the people who will be guiding management. Those are the people who will be involved in the day-to-day implementation. Those are the people, for example, who ensure that you get the qualified staff or maybe you are going to outsource certain skills Then other than that, there's a requirement that management must have deliberate systems in place. For example, they would have maybe monthly meetings where they're just looking at uh, issues of human capital risk or is it operational risk. In addition, one of the key ingredients, of course, if you go in most of these places, you always find that people have good plans in place, but those plans have never been tested. So there's a requirement that you should have simulations So even when we go into these countries to go and do assessments, we also check if what is on paper, what you've planned to do, have you undertaken that? For example, if it's issues of sects, maybe fire drills, Do you do fire drills, how often? If it's the IT system, have you ever switched it off and see what happens? I do agree with you that the plans are there, but the COVID pandemic taught the, the world a different lesson. That having plans and making things work is different. In fact, that has, in a way, helped us uh, in the Secretariat reinforce the message you've been sending to people that it's not enough to have these plans. There has to be a deliberate management system in place to ensure that there's an understanding of everyone. The management, they should understand the role. The staff should understand what should happen at any given time. And then you also need to undertake simulations from time to time. For example, do you have a situation where everyone is required to work from home so that you test the system in case there's some that happens. It's all about how you manage the process. First, in nature, you have the people who understand what human capital risk is within the institution. People who understand operational risk, if it's pertaining to operational risk, is management fully involved, ensuring that these things are managed, they are discussed. Is management involved in ensuring that simulation exercises are carried out from time to time so that we establish how ready are we for that day when the calamity will hit? Those are some of the key issues that are very important to take into account.
2: You know, when we talk about management involvement and again, going back to the HR as a business partner or HR's as like human capital risk management in general... That involvement of the management in these plans and understanding the human capital and the back and forth, putting the strategies together, is really crucial if you just consider HR or IT as separate departments that manage the transactional day-to-day work and don't understand or don't monitor what's happening in those departments, then you lose your ability to stay resilient You lose your ability to react to issues like our disaster planning, business continuity management, and investment banking and trading environments. We had very, very comprehensive business plans. We had replicates our trading floor in a business center in a different city. We had options for some of our key traders, key personnel to work from home. But I'm going back in my mind to those years We really didn't have the full structure or infrastructure to ensure everyone was working from home, right? So we had replicated the trading floor in another setting where it required people to sit shoulder to shoulder next to each other in a closed room to ensure the business continuity. But what happens when you're not able to do that? When COVID started, I also worked for an organization, a nonprofit in Nevada, I'm in charge of business process management as well as IT and security. We had to turn around in three days, ensure everyone had connectivity, laptops, collaboration tools, and ability to work from home. Three days. And we had all plans in place, et cetera, but did not see this coming. But prioritizing this work was very crucial to our ability to react in this situation. In terms of technology involvement of collaboration of management and HR. Technology becomes way of life, way of work. We bring in a number of software or different applications into our organizations, but not necessarily understanding what that means for the organization and how it is impacting an organization either. It might not be the case for a tax authority, but in, in a corporate environment, in a private business setting, these technologies have impact to the bottom line of the organization as well. The how your job applicants, how you're treating the data and using data for your performance or your compensation plans. What does that mean? Who are you hiring? who's staying, who's performing, who are you managing that performance, how are you analyzing the data for people leaving the organization so it doesn't become like statistics on one end. It doesn't stay in a silo within the HR as an applicant tracking system or job management system. What does it mean for organizations' overall profitability and expenses is also crucial. So I think HR risk, where it sits in the management structure is overall and holistic picture of the risk elements.
0: I have a question for you. How whether an institution leverages outsourcing methods and use of non-permanent workers. And also we look at how do you identify and retain people. One of the things I think I've noticed across the world is that most of the tax administrations are tending more to outsource some of these highly skilled staff. They are kind of leveraging the outsourcing methodology to get highly skilled staff from these organizations. But also what you tend to see is that the cost is increasing over time because you don't really have control of those people outside the organization. So in your view, how do you balance the issue of trying as much as possible to identify and retain people as opposed to depending more on outsourcing staff? What's your take on that issue? Would you rather the tax administrations, the government spend more in, in identifying staff and retaining them, or they should give more room for outsourcing of staff?
2: I think it's not one or the other. I think it's a sensitive balance that should also reflect the sustainability of the organization as well as the labor market trends. What we see, in, and again, this is not for public institutions, but for private sector as well, the labor market is shifting a lot in terms of its capability, in terms of where it's located, in terms of what they expect from the organization. You have to react to that because you need some of those roles, technical, general capabilities. If you don't have that in your local labor market that you can bring into the organization, you are looking at gig workers or outsourcing options as options for your human capital management. However, there is that balance of how do you incorporate your outsourced human capital or the gig market or contractors into the culture of the organization. How one side of the organization, the outsourced employees or human capital is not doing something. And then you have people within the organization that are going in another direction or following another strategy. If you're going to outsource, there needs to be a balance and engagement between the two. I think you definitely need to look at outsourcing options or external partnership options, because that's where the labor market is going. We don't have people staying in one location. But there's also another element in terms of do you solely focus on your internal human capital? I think not, because the markets are changing, the expectations are changing, the technologies are changing, the expectation of your stakeholders, internal and external, are changing. So if you're only focusing on what you have, and trying to make up your current human capital, you're also risking keeping it a very closed environment. You're not bringing in new talent. You're not bringing in new perspectives. You're not bringing the diversity of talent and experiences and perspectives. So it becomes like a closed circuit. You're repeating the same things again and again. You are shifting the organization in a way on what worked before. You're trying to make those things applicable to your new challenges, which might not give you the same success in the mid and long term. So instead of keeping that closed circuit in the organization, looking at how you manage the capital, how you manage the succession planning, how you upskill, retrain, reskill your existing infrastructure, but also looking at what is happening outside. You're not sitting in a vacuum within the labor market between entities working together, I think it's a balance.
0: Very interesting. I think I like the aspect you are bringing in of going outside what you have within your own organization. I think the idea of uh, cross pollination is very important. Tax administrations they tend to bring in people from the banking sector to manage, especially the IT business. because. The financial market has a lot of experience in that area. So I think the, the issue of cross coordination is really
2: important. Under your capability as a risk element, you are continually assessing that gap between what skills or capabilities that you need with your existing workforce and where your institution needs to be, right? You mentioned, especially in IT and in some more technical areas, if you don't have that internal capability, you're not going to say okay, because we couldn't find talent, you're not going to do this. You have to look for ways to close that gap between what you have and what you need to have and look for different critical skills for your organization. You cannot sit on your existing capital only. You have to look for the most in-demand skills, the top talent who are going to help your organization to hopefully develop those skills as well. You might want to bring in people or outsource people in different ways to eventually develop that talent within the organization. So it might be a way of development as well.
0: So concerning the future of human capital in terms of management of risk and so on, what do you think the future of management of human capital risk is and what are the key takeaways people who are managing human capital risk in the tax administration to always be on their mind.
2: If I was told before the pandemic that my organization was going to do everything remotely, I'd be like, yes, sure. And that will be the end of the conversation. But if anything, humans also have an amazing capability in terms of resiliency and reacting to challenges and to change and adapting. I think the key question for futures of human capital risk is really around how we flourish and help that resiliency capability stay rather than burning people out. I think one of the future risks in human capital is the burning out piece. That we depend whether because it's labor shortages, whether because we're reacting to costs or increased demand on certain institutions that we expect more from our human capital. You downsize and then the work doesn't go away, but the number of people that needs to capture or complete that work stays the same or is less. So how do you manage that without burning your people? Losing those key talents is going to be one of the elements. The other is COVID in one capacity or other is not going away. I think we need to look at how do we keep these structures of remote working or hybrid working as future picture of workplace. You know, We are not going back to normal, if there was any normal ever. So how do we now learn from the lessons of COVID, from what we've been through over the last 18, 20 months, and actually build that as capability and capacity within our organizations and build that as a risk element as well? You know, what does that mean for your capability? What does that mean for your cost? How do you ensure that you still have connection? between your motivation, engagement, culture of your organization's talent with the organization's structure. We've been very much in a firefighting mode over the last year, year and a half. We're constantly looking at, okay, the vaccines, are the vaccines here, are this here, what are the rates, constantly keeping an eye on that. But we need to remember the lessons and how do we change our structure to ensure And remember this as a possibly repeating risk and build your technology infrastructure, your policies, your processes, your cultural connection accordingly. Because some of your key people might also not be able to come back, even if they wanted to, they might not be able to come back. Thinking about succession planning and resiliency from that sense is also important. In terms of the takeaways... I would definitely say risk sits in the core of this, but we shouldn't be only treating the risk as the only thing, talking about all these control mechanisms, policies, procedures in place, but how to use those to actually enhance and flourish the organization as well and build those connections between HR and management, HR and stakeholders. Because HR has an impact inside the organization, your culture, your strategy, etc., but also outside organization, how people see a tax administration, how people react to its policies, how people want to work or don't want to work with the administration. Can you build partnerships? Your culture also translates into reputation. So thinking of risk from a wider stance and making sure that those risks are managed together with the business, together with the senior stakeholders as part of the organization and not sitting a silo as as a transactional department that only hires, manages and fires and manages training it as well. I keep going back to what you said, Maimbo, about human capital and nothing will work. at absolutely right on that one.
1: So, when we talk about HR as business partner, is making HR business partner gender neutral?
2: Yes. I think a lot of the times HR is seen as might change from culture to culture, but I've lived in four different continents and worked with, in my remits within, as a VP of HR. In my previous jobs, I had remits over 30 countries. A lot of the time you see HR as a female function and it's seen as okay, you need soft skills in terms of communication and human relations, etc. cetera. Yes, it, that is very crucial, but that also Some In some cultures or in some organizations, depending on the culture of the organization, that runs the risk of seeing HR as a support function only. Unfortunately, that gendered function translates into a hierarchy of departments. I think that's a great question. You know, HR coming in and said, you do this, you do that. Let's hire, you work with this department, hire for this. Make sure we cover this, et cetera. It only supports the organization, the business, the money-making for the more crucial departments. However, it definitely needs to be gender neutral and it needs to reflect the diversity of the organization. I don't think it's healthy to only have one that much of gender departments because you also need to understand the experiences, the expectations of different identities in your organization and in the labor market as well to be able to react to that. If you only have one experience that is managing this function, then again, I keep coming back to the resiliency and sustainability, you're not going to be able to react fully.
1: Thank you. So from your bio, I noticed that you have done work in artificial intelligence. So I'm wondering, how does AI influence the whole organization perspective?
2: I consult organizations, whether at C-level, board of directors, or actually development or product teams in terms of ethics and responsible design and use of artificial intelligence across their organization. So it might be developing your artificial intelligence product or service, how to design and implement that, or how to design and launch that in a more responsible way. Or you might be an organization that is bringing an AI-powered product into your organization. For example, AI-powered recruitment software, how to do diligence around that in a responsible way. Do you understand the risks? I was talking about how technology can also bring additional risks to the organization and to the bottom line of the organization. So that's a great example of AI-powered recruitment technologies bringing in new risks to the organization. For example, depending on how artificial intelligence model works, how the software works, and how the data that feeds into those systems, you might actually be automatically screening out people from different diverse backgrounds or marginalized groups. Although your intention was to reach to more people, your intention might be to create more diverse incoming talent. Your intention might be to... Have more efficiency and reduce costs within your HR function. However, there are a lot of risks of bias within these systems. Some of them actually use pseudoscientific methods that are veiled behind the technological objectivity. So, does your organization understand what you're bringing in with these technologies? Like I said, it might be a recruitment software, it might be a compensation software. It might be something that you manage the tech side of things. Do you understand the risk that you're bringing in? Do you understand how the software works? Do you understand how it feeds to the other systems in your organization and how they impact overall culture? If you might be having people that the system discriminates against, but because you haven't done the due diligence and don't understand how it works, you would be liable as an organization, as an employer for that bias or discrimination. You might be opening up yourself to further vulnerabilities and risk through that. So there's a piece in the TADA field guide I've seen risk registries, making registries of your risks, et cetera. That is usually one of my first questions when I go and talk to C-level and board of directors about risks of artificial intelligence. All the AI-powered products that are in your organization, usually the answer is no. Even if it's yes, like we understand the risks of how does this impact your different departments, your bottom line, et cetera? The answer is usually no. And that's usually where we start with that governance and risk management in AI as well. It's very crucial and having HR business partners that understand that technology, the data that comes in and comes out of those systems, and what that means for the organization is very important because for all you know, Someone has seen a bright, shiny thing with an AI-powered product, brought it in, and you opened yourself to a whole level of vulnerability. So, due diligence and risk management is very important in those aspects.
1: Thank you, Merv. Moimbo, would you like to add anything in closing?
0: Well, I think my key takeaway is we are now in the new normal. So, we are not going back to where we were. Two years or so ago, we have this hybrid of working from the office, working from home. And working from home can be a challenge because it becomes difficult to balance between the meantime and also doing the work. So I think the key word there is how do tax administrations manage the issue of burnout? Staff welfare becomes very important because, for example, a case where you have to work with everyone across the world. So sometimes you have these awkward hours when you have to wake up. How do you manage the burnout? How do you ensure that the burnout does not affect productivity? So I think the issue of managing burnout going forward is going to become very critical. That's my key takeaway from the interventions by our HR expert. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much, Maimbo. Merv, any closing thoughts?
2: Thank you for the opportunity to have this discussion to exactly to what my said, managing the new reality, learning lessons from that and managing the realities of labor market, not only looking internally in your organization, but understanding where the labor market is shifting and how you react to that it is crucial for where human capital sits, where human capital is moving forward. And if you are bringing in outsourced talent, if you're bringing in gig talent, if you're bringing in technologies to replace human capital, I would just finish the saying, do your due diligence, do your risk analysis, but don't treat this as one-off. These are continuous assessments and it definitely needs to tie in. With the culture, the strategy, and capabilities of your organization, it needs to look at the whole downstream and upstream impacts. HR talent does not sit in a silo. It sits across the board. It sits outside of organization. So just keeping an eye on 360 is crucial.
1: Thank you both so much for taking the time to join us today and share your insights in this valuable conversation. It was a pleasure to have you here. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. For our listeners today, thank you for tuning in. I hope this discussion was enlightening and led us to consider new HR factors, strategic management and institutional risk. To stay up to date with Tadad, follow us on LinkedIn and subscribe to our podcast hosted on SoundCloud, Podbean, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Our YouTube channel is now featuring Tadad Soundbytes, where experts answer questions from our Tadad Live events. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel and share with a friend. Again, this is Vanessa Santana, and it's been an honor to be your host. The Tatar podcast is available free of charge. The views expressed in the Tadar podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent those of the International Monetary Fund or the IMF policy. Materials from the podcast may be reproduced with proper attribution, Comments may be emailed to podcast at Tadar.org. Tadar is a collaborative undertaking of the following partners. France, Germany, the International Monetary Fund, Japan, the Netherlands, Norway, Switzerland, the United Kingdom and the World Bank.